This morning, with God's help, we will be considering just one verse, verse 10. Saints, give your attention now to the reading of the law or the word of God, for this is God's very word. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider the testimony of Christ that is the spirit of prophecy. And Lord, in light of the testimony of Christ, let us bow not to the deliverer of the testimony or to the one who testifies, but to Christ, the one of whom the testimony is sure and true. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, saints. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you uh, on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our study through the apocalypse of John. Uh, beloved of God, last time we journeyed through the apocalypse of John, we considered the blessing that belongs to those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You will remember that by blessed, John is intending to say that those who are Invited to participate in this marriage and in this supper will enjoy fullness of joy, perfect peace, and intimate communion with God without end, without end. Nothing that is presently hindering the believer in your and my intimacy with God for we do presently have communion and intimacy with God. Nothing that is presently hindering our communion and our intimacy will be present in the new creation. The body will be renewed and absent of sin. Satan vanquished. Babylon destroyed. And Christ will reign over all in a new consummate way. Nothing, saints, will hinder you in your delight and enjoyment of God. Not one thing. John, who received this vision from an angel, uses the metaphor, as we learned last time, the metaphor of marriage and the metaphor, and I'm saying metaphor emphatically, metaphor of marriage and the metaphor of a supper in order to communicate the kind of sweet intimacy that the bride, the church, will have in the new creation. Not a real wedding, and not a real supper, but the wedding and a supper are two of the most uh, common occasions that we can understand that give us a taste or a sense of what will be ours in the fullest sense in the new creation. When we are married, there is a moment, and there are many moments, of sweet intimacy that the husband has with his bride and vice versa. There are times when you sit across the table from someone and your fellowship with them is so sweet you don't want to leave the table. Uh, we get um, taste of these now. But we will have it in the fullest sense in the new creation. Again, the believer has intimacy now. The believer has fellowship and communion with God right now, but it, but it is a hindered fellowship. It is a hindered communion and intimacy. It is right now, even as I speak, it is being opposed by the flesh. Even as I speak to you right now, some of you are having to wake yourself up and say, pay attention. You know you should be paying attention. That will be gone in, in the new creation. Praise be to God. Uh, right now, Satan is a, Satan and his demons, they are opposing you now. They are seeking to, and, and praise be to God for the angels that are fighting for us, they are seeking to oppose your ability to not only hear the word of God, to be attentive to the word of God, but also to receive the word of God. Satan wants to steal the word of God from you this morning. That will be gone in the new creation. But you are fighting it now. 
You are also opposed by the world. There are not just distractions going on within your head. The world is also attempting to distract you. There are cares and concerns of the world that are attempting to lure you away from fellowship and intimacy with God even now. This is why uh, I think Pastor Isaiah and I and I think other pastors encourage you, if you can, as much as you can, use a physical Bible because your phones, whether you like it or not, are going to give you alerts while you're looking at them and giving and writing notes. Whether you like it or not, whether you say I'm, I'm not paying attention to it or not, you can't help but swipe and say and see what you just swiped away. It's for your it's for your good. You have intimacy and communion now, but it is opposed. In the new creation, all opposition will be removed. You have it now. All opposition will be removed and you will know supreme blessedness without opposition. The word rehearsal, I don't know if you've heard. I'm, I'm sure you have. It, it's often described, um, often used to describe what our gatherings of worship are like. You may have heard that before, that uh, our worship is like a dress rehearsal. We are preparing for a moment when we will be joined to Christ in the new creation, in that, that marriage supper, although it's a metaphor. Um, the, the other metaphor is used for our, what we do when we gather as a dress rehearsal, a wedding dress rehearsal. Uh, I used to use that word, too. Uh, I understand what is intended when someone says dress rehearsal. But, but, but here's, what I, I, here's what I think we should do. We should make a distinction. Because I don't know about you, but but I've been to a few wedding rehearsals. And the mood of wedding rehearsals, the mood, the mood of re wedding rehearsals is often irreverent, rushed. Most who are walking through the wedding rehearsal don't want to be there. Can we get this over with, please? I hope that our gatherings of worship are not actually what we what we I hope the mood of our, of our gatherings of worship are not the same mood that we take into wedding rehearsals. Does anyone like going to a wedding rehearsal? We don't, do we? we? We go because we have to be there, but we would really rather not be there, right? Usually the only persons who are very much interested in getting all things right, and, and come on guys, let's keep this serious, is the one who's officiating the wedding and the two people who are getting married. Let me just put this into perspective. You are one of the ones who was getting married. You're not a bystander. You're not one of the ones who is just coming because you have to be there because your friend asked you and you must be there. No, you are one of the ones who was involved in preparing for an intimacy that you already have. You're, you're betrothed this coming and we must prepare ourselves and be ready. Saints, I say to you that we have fellowship now we are not just practicing for fellowship we have fellowship and communion now we're not rehearsing for it we have it now if we're just waiting for the day when we when we go to heaven and we have fellowship and communion with god then we miss the fact that we are actually this morning called by god to worship him we are called to enter into his gates we have come into the zion above we are right now in the Presence of God with the citizens of heaven now. We meet with God now. We're not waiting to meet with God one day. We meet with him now. So don't treat this as as one of those persons who doesn't really want to go to the wedding rehearsal, but has to be there anyways. Treat this as the one who is getting married and who can't wait for the fullness of that day to come. The angel proclaims that what he has been given... What he's been shown uh, to John, given to show to John, is, is the true words from God. Uh, lest for one moment you think this, this is not so, the angel wants to emphatically say and, and use, and he wants to emphasize the phrase, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This, these are the true words of God. This is true. The importance of this statement is then doubled down by the angel. Though he does not need to persuade John that these are the, of the truthfulness of this, he never, nevertheless implores John to understand this. These words are true. You're reading through Revelation. You know it's all true. But the angel wants to tell John emphatically, these are true. These are the words of God. They are true. To which John um, 
seems to have an unexpected response that's going to be the focus of our sermon this morning. Then I fell down at his feet, John says, to worship him. It's amazing. Whenever anybody wants to question the validity of God's word, they only need to go to statements like this that are quite embarrassing, to say the least. John does not hold back the fact that in response to what he has just been shown, his reaction is he falls down, whether knowingly or unknowingly, whether whether wittingly or unwittingly, bows down and worships the angel who shows him these wonderful things. He'll repeat this again, I think in chapter 21 or 22. I don't think he's doing it again. I think he's recalling what he did before. You may recall that I mentioned this verse uh, before we went off for vacation. But I I kind of mentioned it and kind of commented on it in passing. As I left, it was one of those verses that I could not shake. Because I feel like there's something there in verse 10 that's going to be helpful for our growth in Christ. Let me also say to you, it's not my concern, as you probably well know by now, to just finish this book. Meaning, I'm not concerned with just making sure that we can get through this book. So I'll, I'll preach the, the standard um, verses 11 through 20 or verses you know, 1 through 11, because that's what everybody does. I'm concerned with preaching God's word. And if that means that we are in this letter until Christ returns and God, God please today, then that's where we will be. And your elders, I speak on both of our behalf, we are not concerned with just bringing you what every verse means. You can read commentaries for that. Rather, we desire to feed you the meat of God's word so that you may grow in Christ. That's my concern. There's something here this morning, I think, that is beneficial for our growth in Christ. So then, with God's help this morning, we shall consider two points concerning this. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Number one, don't do that. Worship God. Number one, don't do that. You can put an exclamation point here because it's supposed to be. Worship God. And you can put another exclamation point. Verse 10, then I fell to his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Don't do that. Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. The angel has been given wonderful things from Christ who received these wonderful things from the father to reveal to John. John is overwhelmed with wonder of what he's just been allowed to to not only see, but to communicate that he falls down prostrate before the angel and worships him. John not only sees, but John is allowed to both perceive and in a sense understand and then also to write down or communicate what he sees. You remember Paul, when he's taken up to the third heaven, he tells the church of Corinth he saw such wonderful things, but he was not allowed to write them down. John comes to a place where he is allowed to write the things that he has seen. He is allowed to write them down. They are wonderful to him and he can do nothing but. But, but again, maybe knowingly or unknowingly, fall down in worship. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he does know what he's doing. The point is not whether he is aware or not aware. The point is that he was doing it. We can spend all day long. Did, did John know what he was doing? Did he not know? Doesn't matter. He was doing it. Um, you and I have done a lot of things. I didn't even realize what I was doing, but you did it. He was offering improper worship to an improper subject of worship. You have heard the second commandment this morning and you hear it uh, every Lord's Day. You shall not, Exodus 20, you shall not make for yourself an idol, an idol or any of any likeness of what is in heaven above. Verse five of chapter 20. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. The angel quickly, swiftly rebukes John John's action as being unacceptable. The angel both rebukes John and instructs John on the inappropriateness of his act of worship. Do not do that. G.K. Beale notes that the rebuke is rendered in the original language. See not or see to it that you do not, which is essentially in our regular language. Don't. Our regular rendering. Don't. Don't 
break the command, worship God. The angel uh, is this angel is one of the high ranking angels in the service of God. Presumably um, one of the angels who stands and attends at the throne of God. He would have been one of the angels that stood against those angels who were once fellow servants of his that rebelled against God. He would have been one of the ones to fight against them. Satan sought worship for himself. Satan still seeks worship for himself. He sought to tempt our Christ by offering him all the kingdoms of the world. If, if Christ would only do what? Bow down and worship him. As you know, our impeccable Christ refuses Satan's advances, declaring the second commandment. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here is John, knowingly or unknowingly, worshiping a creature made by God. The angel is, re the angel is receiving something that Satan longs for. But he will not accept it. We can say this about angels. When they make decisions, they do not deliberate within themselves the way that you and I do about their decision. They make their decisions swift and immediate. The, Satan, or the, the fall of Satan didn't happen over a, a period of time. It was an immediate pride in the heart, rebellious, rebellious act of disobedience against God. Satan didn't think over time, I wonder if I, wonder if I could get away with it. When angels make decisions, they are swift and immediate decisions. There's no deliberation. Their knowledge is greater than ours. So it is the opposite in the opposite direction with this high ranking angel. His decision to rebuke, to refuse and to instruct John, his fellow servant, was a swift and immediate decision. Don't do that. He's not looking at the worship of John as John is bowing down before him. With desire within him, as um, maybe as Frodo did with the ring of power. Those of you nerds like me. He immediately redirects the worship of John. He, he immediately redirects John's worship of him to worship God. Don't worship God. You know this. We are not to worship angels. Whether they are, um, I've seen them in homes, whether they are, are so-called 10 feet tall, massive and strong, or whether they just are depicted as little babies. For whatever reason, they're always chubby babies. Um, we are not to worship angels of any kind. We are not to worship any created thing of any kind. We are not to worship crosses. We are not to worship Mary. We are not to worship wafers. We are not to worship bread or wine. We worship Christ. And worship him alone. We are thankful for angels, though. Follow the way we do this this afternoon, this morning. But we're thankful for them, though. We don't worship them, but they are given to us as ministering spirits. They are helpers to us in a sense. They motivate us to walk in holiness and in righteousness. They protect you and I from evil spirits, from evil angels. They have been given charge as those who will walk with you unto glory. We are thankful for angels. Praise God for them. But don't worship them. You are not to worship them and they won't accept it from you. They are fellow servants of God. They are mighty. They, they are created greater they are greater created creatures than we are we are made just a little lower than the angels the scriptures say but we are not to worship them now <clears throat> let us remember that john's act of worship it, it's in a response though why is he doing this is he just is he just randomly going yeah i'm going to worship an angel john's act of worship is in response to something glorious john has seen something and go <laughs> Wow. And he's falling, falling down and worship the angel. Let me, let me ask you, saints. Haven't there ever been times in your life that you have sat before the minister and you have heard things through a message that were so wonderful, that were so glorious, 
that in a way you felt as though you were not sitting where you are right now, that you were somewhere else, that, that God had somehow lifted you up into his presence. You, you were before the throne of God. I have. Amen. Haven't there been times when you have heard marvelous things out of God's word that you have been so overcome with wonder and, and even emotion that, that you've had to put your head down, that you've maybe sobbed during a sermon? Because God was ministering to you in, in a magnificently glorious way. I know I have. I was not present with you last Lord's Day. But I had the privilege to hear last Lord's Day sermon now three times. I'd only wish that I was here to hear that sermon. To be present with, to be sitting right there as the minister was preaching the way that he, Pastor Isaiah was preaching the way he was. What a powerful, I'll say it again. What a powerful message of encouragement and mixed with instruction for the saint to rejoice in the midst of trial, to be a faithful witness. And, and even in the midst of trial, knowing that your witness can accomplish things that, that maybe could save the house of Caesar. What passion preached last week, wonderfully mixed with instruction that was provided from God through Pastor Isaiah. It was one of those sermons, one of the many sermons from Pastor Isaiah, that should cause the believer to fall down in their hearts and worship God. Because of the wonderful things that he has shown his people through a servant. Are you with me? Here's where we're going. But there are times when the believer, whether knowingly or unknowingly, gives adoration that should be given to God alone, the author of the message, to the one who is merely the deliverer of the message. And I don't want to say merely to, 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 to disrespect even the one who delivers the message. But there are times when we misdirect adoration and we give it to the man rather than to God. We give it to the messenger, whether they be an angel or a man standing on behalf of God, rather than to God. You remember in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and announces a marvelous, a, the most marvelous news. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would give birth to the Son of God. The, the most marvelous news. Blessed Mary responded, Behold, the bond slave of, your, of the Lord, may it be done according to your word. She does not worship the angel. And nor do we worship her forbearing Forbearing the Son of God. She, like the angel, is a servant. She, like the angel, was one through whom God would do marvelous things. But they themselves are not God. Only God is worthy of worship. She submitted herself. She submits herself to the message of the Lord. May it be done. But not to the messenger of the Lord. As to worship him. John knowingly or unknowingly confuses the one who is the author of the message with the one who is the deliverer of the message. In the same way, we are not to offer worship to angels. We are not who angels who, who deliver wonderful things from God, most wonderful things from God. We are not to worship men who likewise deliver wonderful, most wonderful things from God. <clears throat> I ask myself during the week, why am I so infatuated with this, this verse? So then I begin to do the things that I always do. Is what about this verse from my tradition is holding on to me? And I had to be honest. Maybe there are some things from my former tradition um, that are tugging at me uh, and, and causing me to be tied to this verse. Growing up, I saw, whether knowingly or unknowingly, what seemed to be like men offering worship to men. Here's what I don't want to do. I could go through a number of examples of that, but I don't think that's helpful. Instead, what I think is helpful is for us to briefly consider at least one man. And, and as I began to think about it, I thought of many. At least one man who is an example of unhealthy honor or esteem from those that they have been given to lead or give messages to. Many examples, but I, I'm just going to use the one. Moses. Moses chosen by God to lead his people, leads God, to lead God's people out of Egypt, out of bondage. Moses, who would be the, the, the deliverer, as it were, of 
of messages, instructions, and even the law of God. He was used, as you know, to show Israel wonderful things. Through the hand of Moses, God brought about ten plagues upon the most powerful nation at that time. Uh, Egypt, a nation that was said to be led by gods, is brought to their knee by God through a man holding a stick. Through the, the hand of Moses... God parts the Red Sea and rescues his people from the hand of their oppressor. All of these wonderful things that were shown to Israel were intended to draw Israel closer to God, who delivered them from bondage and from the hand of their oppressor. Instead, Israel manifested their own fallenness. By, I'm going to say this, keep saying it, by knowingly or unknowingly fixing their eyes not upon God, but upon Moses. How do we know this? I started to do a whole tracing of it, and it was so much so that my one point turned into an entire sermon. So I, I dialed it back a little bit. Exodus chapter 15, they cry to Moses for water. Exodus chapter 16, they're crying to Moses for food. I can go back even further. Exodus chapter 14, they go, why did, why did you take us out of Egypt? Exodus chapter 17, again, crying to Moses for water. Exodus chapter 20, when Moses ascends Sinai in order to receive the law of God, Israel goes, where's Moses? Doesn't look like he's coming back. And because of this, they craft an idol to replace Moses. Not God. As for this servant, uh, as for Moses, we don't know where the man has gone. They craft an idol. Here's the guy who took you out of Egypt. God had already been replaced in their hearts. Through godly men, God will show his people many marvelous things. But we must not make the mistake of Israel by placing our faith in the the deliverer of the message rather than the one who is the author of the message. Don't do that. Worship God. In my 43 years of being in church, all I've known all my life is church. In my 22 years of ministry... I have seen men place an unhealthy dependence upon men and not God. Dear ones, the man of God that has been placed uh, to have charge over you, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from Thessalonians, or even your favorite minister or theologian, cannot have a higher place in your heart than God. Your favorite minister... Or the elders who have been given charge over you, or your favorite theologian, they cannot have a higher place in your heart than God. The man of God that has been placed over you cannot be depended upon to fix all of the difficult things in your life. And you must not place that responsibility upon him. Where am I drawing that from? Moses. Moses wears water. Moses wears food. Moses, Moses, Moses. Do not depend upon your elders in that manner. They can't fix all that is. And by, by me saying all, I started to, when I was writing, I wrote out all, all of the all and it was too many alls. And so I just left it all as all. He can't fix all the alls and all the all bad things in your life. He's not called to. We have been charged to teach, to reprove, to correct Through the word of God, right here, right now. Here's where your help is, is, right here, right now. Through the word of God. We have been called to train men in righteousness so that they they would be equipped and adequate, or equipped for every good work, adequately equipped. For what good work? For this to continue. It is our job to preach to you faithfully the word of God, and through this, raise up other men who, when we are gone, will continue to do the same thing. But we're not your Mr. Fixits of all the things in your lives. The minister cannot bring to you water from a rock or bread from heaven. Now you may say, duh, I know that you can't bring to me uh, water from a rock or bread from heaven. That's obvious, is it? The Lord Jesus, speaking to those who were... um, at least a lot brighter and, and who knew a, 
who knew a lot more of scripture, I think, than many of us, because they were a a a, um, a culture that that memorized the word of God. They just weren't hearers of the word of God. Go, that was a good sermon. They were such close listeners that they were um, they could repeat because of their memorization skills the word of God verbatim. The people in John chapter six they are challenging the authority of Christ. Here's how I'm proving it. They're challenging the authority of Christ and his teachings and saying, what work will you work in order to prove that you have the authority to, to say what you say and to, do, and to teach what you teach? They say to him, they say to him, in John 6:30. what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Now, they're, they're asking for a work. They want to see something wonderful. Jesus proved to us. That you, that you have the authority to say what you say. And in order to validate the request, they point to Moses. Listen to what they say. Um, John 6.31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Listen to how this is phrased. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now we could read through that and go, yeah. Uh-huh. He gave, God gave them bread out of heaven to eat. But it's interesting because Christ knows what they Christ knows what they're saying. We might read it as God gave them bread out of heaven. Jesus corrects the he that they're talking to and the he that they're referring to. In verse 32, he says in John 6:32, he says this, "Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses." The he It's not Moses who gave you bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gave you true bread out of heaven. The he that they were referring to was not God. The he that they were referring to was Moses. He gave them bread out of heaven. And God and Jesus says, Moses didn't give you bread. God gave you bread. What is more, God has given you now true bread out of heaven. Speaking of himself, Moses, from people who knew the word very, very good, was the one who they attributed as being the one that gave them bread. He gave us bread out of heaven. Jesus says, Moses didn't do that. God did that. What is more, God has given you now true bread. We must not rely upon man as being the source of our bread. God is the source of your bread. Who is the source of your growth? God is the source of your growth. Who is the source of your salvation? God is the source of your salvation. Who is the source of you um, eventually ending uh, ending up in glory? God is the one who will see you to the end. And he uses ministers to assist you along the way. And Jesus, here Jesus says, God again has given bread from heaven. He is his flesh so that all who eat of him will not will live and not die. Hebrews 3, 3, Jesus. He has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Jesus is counted more worthy than glory, uh, more more worthy of glory than Moses. Uh, brother, could you turn the air on? Maybe it's just me. I'm on. Moses is a steward, a servant in the house of God. <clears throat> Christ is the builder of the house of God. Moses is a steward, a servant in the house of God. Christ is the the builder of the house of God. Moses is a faithful servant testifying concerning Christ, just as the angel of Revelation is a servant who testifies concerning Christ, just as your elders are servants who testify concerning Christ. Now, while we don't worship them, they are servants whom we honor and respect. No, now, for some of us, like me growing up, yeah, I don't worship any man. He's nobody. He's nobody. Well, the man of God actually is a somebody. They are a servant of the Lord. Don't allow our, maybe that's just my own rebellious mind. Don't allow the mind to go, yeah, I only worship God. You're nobody. That's the extreme of where we don't want to go. Instead, we want to go to the place that God has called us to, which is this. 
appreciate, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Oh, that would be me, by the way, and Isaiah. And you are to esteem them, listen to this, very highly in love because of their work. Don't be like the old me who said, preachers are nobody. It's all about God. Well, God uses preachers, doesn't he? And we are to appreciate them. The scriptures say that we are to highly uh, esteem them in love. Why? Because of their work. Those who have, Pastor Isaiah is going to talk about this later in the afternoon, so I don't want to jump too much. I don't know how much he's going to go, but I'm going to say it anyways. Those who have been given charge over you, appreciate them. Tell them often that you appreciate them. When was the last time that you told your pastor? Appreciate you, man. I appreciate your labors. I'm going to just pause for a second as you think about that. When was the last time? I appreciate you. Thank you for that sermon. We are commanded to appreciate. We are commanded by God to do that. The minister who labors throughout the week gets some of his fuel, some of his fuel, not all of his fuel, some of his fuel from seeing faces that are attentive when he preaches. Some of the um, the air in his tires, if you will, is taken out when as he prepares, he thinks of all the faces that are falling asleep or who are non-attentive. You know how hard it is to prepare a sermon? Not one sermon. Um, I, 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 I'm amazed sometimes when I hear a minister and they take this, they, they, they kind of take their sermon on a tour. It's like, oh, you preach it there, you preach it there, you preach it there, and you, and you can kind of fix it as you go along. The pastor does that every week. It doesn't get to tweak it again until someone invites him, which is very rare. Appreciate them. Don't worship them. But, Pastor, I appreciate the work that you do. It's What we are doing here right now is helping to mature you in Christ. God is using a servant to show you wonderful things so that you may glorify God and grow in the process. Um, do you thank the waiter when he brings you the food or do you just go, yeah, put it there? Some of you, I hope, are not rude to, to people who are bringing you food. They want to know how are you liking it. It is very good. And you almost speak to them as if they're the one who made it. Right. This is so this is the best mac and cheese. My wife and I and the kids went to Bravo Farms yesterday. This is the best mac and cheese that I have ever had. You're speaking to the waiter and the waiter goes, well, I'm glad you like it. Thank you. They didn't make that mac and cheese. That mac and cheese was labored over by someone back there who you don't even get to see. You should say next time you have good food, tell the chef, I really appreciate him and thank you for your service as well. God is the author of this. Pastor Isaiah and I were talking yesterday. We we're talking about, are you done with your sermon? I'm still working on it. Pastor Isaiah says, how, what's the latest that you start? And I said, man, it, it depends. Brother, I have been laboring since Sunday trying to wrestle with this text. God, help me to, to see, not just, and he said to me, I just don't want to explain what it means. That takes 10 minutes. I want something that will help to benefit the church to grow. He's thinking about you throughout the week. You might not think so. He's praying for you throughout the week. You might not think so. He's he's um, maybe even shedding tears as he thinks about you throughout the week. And this standing here, this moment to deliver that message is one that we should greatly appreciate and give our attention to because the man of God has been laboring since last Sunday to try to make a meal that's going to be good for your soul. Appreciate them. Appreciate you. Maybe you've had bad pastors in the past. If you've been here for longer than two years, appreciate that man of God. He's not like them. We are commanded not only to appreciate them, but to highly. Paul does a wonderful thing. Highly esteem them in love. Very highly appreciate them, honor them and do so because you love them for their labors. Don't worship them. But this work that we're doing. It will last forever. You will always forever be benefiting from this spiritual work that is being done right now in heaven. Um, that which you are enjoying is partly due to those who have served you here on earth. 
their work is one that will last forever. Our sermons then should be prepared as though they will be um, placed into the, 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 the library of heaven and those annals. We should be preparing sermons as if God would say, uh, here's one that will be good for your soul. We don't go to the extreme and say, ah, my elder is a nobody. Only God matters. And give them no respect, not in the least. Their labors have a reward that will benefit both us because of what we've done and you who are the recipients of it. If you can say, since I've been here, I have grown so much in Christ. Praise be to God for the ministers that he's used in your life to accomplish that. Worship God for the ministers that he has used to accomplish that. You're being used by Christ to purify you in his word. And you are commanded to appreciate their efforts because they're preparing you for your your final wedding day. We're like those, and and please don't, don't get too weird about this example, but we're like those who's preparing the bride. They're preparing the veil. They're styling the hair. They're, they're straightening out the train so that you may be prepared to be presented to your to your room without spot or wrinkle. Amen. Christ is doing this through these men. Don't worship them, but honor them. Don't worship them, but honor them. They, they are not Christ, but they are being used by Christ. We must honor them and respect them as servants of the Lord. We must have a healthy esteem of them, but never worship them. We're not above being questioned. Yes, question us. We want you to grow. No minister should ever be afraid of a question. And no minister should ever be beyond being questioned, above questioned. We must be faithful. God is the only one who is great. Another example in Acts chapter 14, the the people there in Athens, they are are amazed by Paul and Barnabas. And they come and they they offer um, oxen to to them and flowers to them. And the immediate response of Paul and Barnabas is they tear their robes. They rush to the crowd and they cry out to the crowd saying, why are you doing these things? We are men like you. We preach the gospel that you should turn from these same things to the living God. Angels won't accept worship. Faithful men won't accept worship. And we must not be men who are trying to... um, Say what you want to say what you want to hear so that you will like us. Because there is a there is a tendency to then have you adore us because we're saying all the things that you want us to say to you. No. We say God's word and we're faithful to God's word and we will be accountable one day for it. And you don't want a man who's going to stand before you just to tell you all the things that you want to hear. We've been called to show you wonderful things in God's word. We're called to teach, to correct, to rebuke, and to reprove. To reprove. You are called not to worship, but to appreciate and to esteem highly in love. And, and your your way of showing appreciation can be very simple. It's very simple. A few things. It could be attentiveness during the sermon. Appreciation after the sermon. And trust me, Pastor, I appreciate that. That never gets old. If you go, I told him last week, tell me again. I will appreciate it every single time. Respect for their office. And for their work. But more importantly than all these things, live in light of the sermon. Go do something about it. Go live in light of it. That will show that you are truly worshiping God. Second point. That was a long point. Second second point is much shorter. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do not do that. Verse 10. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Angels and humans are servants. And to show that they are fellow servants, the angel points out that those who are holding to the testimony of Jesus, which the angel says, is a spirit of prophecy. They show that they are servants by doing that. Messing up that point, but but here's here's what I'm making a point of. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to make a point for the cessation of prophecy. Okay? That's to say, I'm not going to make a case that the scriptures are no longer adding new revelation from God. That that's for another time, another day. John was receiving revelation from the angel. The angel was going to connect the testimony that servants give of Jesus to the spirit of prophecy. Follow these two now, okay? 
testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy. The angel is making a connection to the two of them. What is the testimony and what is the prophecy? I'm going to say this real slow, but we're going to be done right now. In Revelation 2, the Lord rebukes the church of Thyatira. Here's why. Because they're tolerating a woman that, that Jesus metaphorically calls Jezebel. Right? This metaphor, this woman calls herself a prophetess. Now, this is also not going to be, Isaac, a, a discussion about can women be prophetesses? And I'm not going to go into all that's another day for another time, right? Sorry, we just caught eyes, so I said. Um, she is revealed to be a false prophet. How? Because her false teachings are leading people in the church not to Christ, but away from Christ. Now, how do you know that someone is they're saying the name of Christ? Which Christ? The true Christ. If someone is, is teaching a certain thing, and they are not being led to more faithfulness of God's word, but things that look less like Christianity and more like some mumbo-jumbo stuff, right? That's false prophecy. or That's false testimony. Follow me now, okay? Uh, Revelation 2.20. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. They're not becoming more holy. They're becoming less holy. They're not knowing the true Christ more. They're knowing the true Christ less. The Lord Jesus connects here a testimony to whether or not someone, namely Jezebel, is a true prophet. And she is found to be a false prophet because her teachings are not leading her people to Christ, but to herself. Her testimony of Christ was a false testimony. Therefore, she's a false prophet. And she does not have the spirit. I hope that this is making a connection. I hope you will. I hope that it will. The angel is showing John wonderful things. But the wonderful things are intended to lead John not to the angel, but to Christ. How do we know this? Because when the angel, when John bows down to the angel, the angel goes, no, 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 no. Christ. Amen. I'm testifying yes. to Christ. Yes. Worship him, not me. The false prophet accepts adoration. The false prophet accepts the hero worship. The false prophet doesn't stop someone when they, um, in a sense, highly esteem and almost, sense, almost seem to worship them. They keep it coming. They see, they see what they like and they keep giving it to them. The one who preaches the thing that people that makes people go, oh, I don't like that. But it's faithful to God's word, whether you like it or not. That's a true testimony. And because it's a true testimony, with that is a spirit of prophecy. They speak rightly on behalf of God. I'm not making the argument of new revelation. I'm making an argument of this. When someone speaks rightly concerning God's word and Christ. It is, in a sense, a spirit of prophecy because it is a true testimony of Christ. You making those connections? I hope you are. <clears throat> when people speak rightly of Christ, it could be said that the speaker is speaking with a spirit of prophecy. What am I doing this morning? I am prophesying to you. Because I believe that I am faithfully speaking God's word. Not new revelation. But faithfully speaking, and I believe accurately, God's holy word. What Isaiah will do this week, this afternoon, he will prophesy to you, speak God's word to you. Because I believe he will do so faithfully and accurately. Again, faithful witnessing of Christ. John begins Revelation 1.1 as one who is testifying to the word of God and the testimony of Christ. Christ is the faithful witness. We witness testimony to him. We testify to Christ, the faithful witness. He is the faithful witness of God in word and deed. John says that he was on the island of Patmos, John 1, 9, or Revelation 1, 9, because of his testimony of Christ and the word of God. John's exiled because he, testified, he testifies that Christ is the faithful witness of God. John is exiled because of his testimony. 
when John speaks faithfully, it is the Spirit speaking through him, which is, in a sense, the Spirit of prophecy. Now, <clears throat> this is why you must esteem your elders. This is why you must appreciate those who have been given charge over you. Because they are proclaiming the testimony of Christ. And this morning and this afternoon, they are, in a sense, prophesying to you. We do not preach ourselves, Paul says, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. That's what the angel said, right? I'm a servant of yours. I'm testifying to Christ. Paul says, I'm a fellow servant of yours. I testify to Christ. We speak words not taught of human wisdom, but those taught of the Spirit. We are prophesying to you in a sense this morning. But testimony is not only belong to those who have been given charge over you. It belongs to you as well. Pastor Isaiah mentioned this last week. When you're at work, you testify concerning Christ. When you're uh, in the grocery store, you testify concerning Christ. When you are at home, you testify concerning Christ by word and by deed. The testifying to Christ, the testimony of Christ does not only belong to the elders. It belongs to all those who are fellow servants of Christ. If you believe in Christ, you are a fellow servant. Therefore, you are also charged with testifying faithfully concerning Christ. And when you do faithfully, there is, in a sense, a spirit of prophecy upon you when you speak accurately concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are intolerant to false teaching and you hold fast to Christ, you are having a true testimony. When you hold fast to the name of Christ and don't deny the faith even when put to the sword, you are holding fast the testimony of Christ. You are called to deeds of love, faith, service, and perseverance as evidence that you agree with Christ, the faithful witness. Not just in word, but in deed. All men will know that you are disciples of Christ when you have love for one another. To every one of the seven churches, the Lord Jesus commands in one way or another, or commends, but also reminds the church, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Your deeds are a faithful witness to Christ. Not just your words, but your deeds as well. You are called to worship God, saints. We are called to give glory to God who speaks to us through men that he has chosen as servants, preparing us, his bride, for the consummation. We must never confuse the deliverer with the author. And we must also be faithful in our testimony to Christ who is the faithful witness. When we do, it can be rightly said that we prophesy. We speak on behalf of God. Amen. That Christ is Savior and Lord. Amen. And that all who believe in him will be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Amen.